Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Here is the host of The Mental Cast, Dan Mickle. All right, and welcome to The Mental Cast. I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and today we have a special guest. We have Claudio Riostano, who is the head coach at Carnegie Mellon Baseball, and also a slew of other titles, uh, scout, professional scout, uh, radio host. I'll let him go through his whole bio. He can do it more justice than I can. Claudio, welcome to the show, and feel free to give us a little bit of your background. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for having me on. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thank you. And you said my name great. Even though we talked about it before the show, you said it even better than I I say it. So very good. <laughs> but um, yes, I'm head baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon University. I'm going in, just finishing up my 15th year. Obviously, we didn't have a season this year, but uh, going into my 16th year. And uh, I've been scouting professionally for the Global Scouting Bureau. It's going on my 20th year, which is hard to believe. We are a pro baseball scouting company. Um, as you mentioned, I have a podcast uh, where I interview a lot of former sports legends. Well, they're still legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s. I interview some friends and looking forward to having you on the show as well. And uh, I have a few TV shows, a boxing TV show, a sports show here in Pittsburgh, TV shows. And um, just wrote a book, as you mentioned, and, and uh, everything's going good. So I'm here in Pittsburgh and uh, rainy Pittsburgh, but everything's good. Not too far from you in York. Yeah, and we're having the same uh, three three day weather uh, span here. Pretty much been wet and cold. So welcome welcome to late fall, early winter in Pennsylvania. That's right. right. Um, I wanted to touch on a ton of stuff, but I want to start with um, the college aspect. You know, your bio is pretty similar to mine in the sense of coming up through the high school ranks and then becoming a college coach, and and then obviously translating that into other businesses on the side. But in in the college world specifically, what are you finding as the biggest challenge when you have new new players coming in that they're dealing with in general? On the field, you deal with perhaps some bad habits that they've been taught in hitting, in hitting. Um, I've, I, I've, I do a lot of hitting camps, hitting lessons and clinics, study hitting constantly. And hitting is the worst taught thing in sports, Dan. Um, they want to clone everybody. And sometimes that cloning doesn't work for everybody. You know, I had twins on my team that batted differently. So how do I expect the entire team to bat the same way? Um, that part of it. And then sometimes <clears throat> the competition, they may think that because they were big time in high school that they're going to dominate in college. And obviously that's not the case right away. Um, hopefully they do. I, I remember one time there was this kid about six foot five out of California. Uh, he comes up to me. First thing he says to me during practice was, is this going to be any competition for me? And I said, I hope not. I hope you blow by everybody. You know? <laughs> and in the first game, he lasted a third of an inning. The second game, he lasted two thirds of an inning. The third game, a third of an inning. And he barely pitched for me the rest of his career. He, he played about, I think he snuck in two years. But that part of it, and then scholastically, Carnegie Mellon is a very, very difficult school. I say it's a Ivy League school in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> so once they get acclimated to that and how hard that is and the demanding uh, schoolwork, then you know they they then they're fine. And that's one of my uh, roles is to make sure, as I say in the book, the subtitle is uh, well, the title of the book is "Lead from Your Heart Up, Not the Neck Up: How to Create a Positive and Winning Culture." on the field and in the office. I want them to come to practice and it be a release. They don't need to come from a hard class and have some coach be make it tough for them. Um, so, but I think that's the first thing, I, the, the first two things. On the field, the, the hitting thing, hopefully they were taught well, but if not, then it's my job to fix things up. And then getting used to getting acclimated to how hard 
school is and obviously being away from home too. Yeah, I, I think you hit on it. For me, that was the biggest transition also as a coach from high school to college was learning how to mentor these players into the time management and wrapping everything around. Cause you know, you look at the college schedule and they may only have one or two classes a day and you think, man, this is going to be easy. But in, in theory, there's so much going on. And, and like you said, finding that balance between the hard courses and then coming to practice can be pretty rough. Um, we're uh, at York college. We're, we're pretty big on nursing and I have players that will come off a 12 hour nursing clinical straight to practice. Um, and, and that, you know, that's brutal for them mentally and physically, obviously. And I think that's something that most students aren't prepared for. They're not prepared for the time management and, and really how to manage their life once they're on the college campus. Well, you hit it on the head. They'll come straight from a 12 day, uh, work and then come straight to practice. And I, I get that. I get texts, <clears throat> excuse me, at three, four in the morning saying, coach, I'm just wrapping up uh, some, some schoolwork. I'm going to be, I might be a little bit late for practice or whatever. And you know what, you know, the, you know, the old saying, Dan, the, the game has passed coaches by, I don't necessarily agree with that part of it. I, I think that people pass people by. <clears throat> I think a lot of the coaches maybe that we grew up with, maybe, would say you have to be on time. We talked about being on time prior to the show, but if you're going to be late because of school related things or family related things, you have to be understanding about it. And, and I, I have that written in my book. I tell my players all the time, look, of course I want you to be there on time, but if you're not, just tell me you're going to be a little bit late. That's all I understand. I get it. And I, I had a potential recruit. Uh, I talked to him yesterday. I said, look, I'll be very blunt with you. If you are a starter, Okay. You're not going to lose your starting position. Maybe other coaches don't feel this way and that's fine. That's how they do their business. And I respect that. If you miss a day of practice or two days of practice, you're not going to lose your starting position because of that. If you're missing it due to school or a family issue, um, you know, you have to be understanding. And, in, and I remember some coaches saying a little bit behind my back, a few to me, man, if I was a CMU, I would make sure they were there every practice. They wouldn't miss a minute. And I said, well, then you wouldn't have a team. Okay. You'd be by yourself. And, um, and, and then my guys, if they miss a practice without me even saying anything to them, what they'll do is they'll say, coach, don't worry. I'll get some BP in, in the cage. I'll sneak some BP in tomorrow morning or before practice. And they get their work done. They get it done, Dan. I mean, you don't have to go crazy about it. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that exact point. Um, a few episodes ago, I, I grew up and went to school with uh, Brett and Kyle Wagner, who, who coached the Redland Little Little League World Series team that won the you know the national championship a few years ago? I think it was 2015. Um, you know, and they they played a little bit of professional ball, but uh, we had this exact conversation about you know what do you do in the world when you have your star player who's also maybe a star academic and taking all these labs and how do you how do you present that to the team and the culture that hey. Joey may not be at practice once a week because he's got these academic commitments, but he's still going to be our, you know, our leadoff batter, or our starting pitcher, or, you know, in any sport, our quarterback. And I, I think that's a realization that not too many people think about and happens across every campus. I mean, you're just, you can't be competitive in the classroom and on the field and not make some of those concessions and, and figure out how that works out. Exactly. And, and, and but I, I would say, as I, said in my original quote the game doesn't necessarily pass people by people pass people by i mean you can be a tough guy about it say if you're, but then again you won't have a team and then if you if he does come to practice guess what else is going to happen he's going to suffer you know in, in his uh in his schoolwork and he won't be able to be on the team anyway so dan i apologize that's, that's fire with you. no no you know, problem i always dread I always dread that thing going off. <laughs> Unbelievable. Not, not a problem at all. Um, do you feel that that aspect has changed in your coaching, that there's more collaboration with the team about the policies and the rules? That's something that I've been really focusing on and changing over the last couple of years is, you know, when I first started, I did what every young coach did. These are my rules. We're going to follow it. And everyone's going to be lockstep or you're not going to be part of the team to now it's more of a, Hey, this is your team. You know, what do you want to have happen if someone misses a practice or they're going to be late? And it's a bit more collaborative. Did, did you start out that way? Did it transform that way? 
where are you at in that process? I, I think it's all about, like you said, the word collaboration. I, I say communication. I just tell them up front. I will give the player who's not who's batting one time a year the same understanding and respect that I give the guy who's hitting 420. Um, I just tell them ahead of time. And I also tell them not to take advantage of that. <clears throat> and it's happened a few times here and there where, you know, kids, so oh, I can't make practice today. Then you're, you're on your way leaving uh, practice for home and you see him kind of wandering the streets. So what I did was I told him, I say, hey, look, you know, I, I got you. No big deal. I'm not going to punish you. But let's not let let's not let have this happen again. And it never, it never happened again. You know, now if it would have happened again, I would have handled it differently. Right. Um, but uh, w- one quick story uh, th- that's in the book. I remember my first year of pra- uh, CMU, there was a kid uh, who was late to every single practice, <clears throat> every single game. I mean, he was late all the time. So I said, Chris, I said, is it school related? He says, Coach, I'll be honest with you. I get up late. And I make coffee and I do, I said, Chris, you can't be late anymore. I said, you just can't be. I, this has gone on too much every single day. And the guys are starting to look, it looks bad for me too. And it looks like I'm, I'm being soft and I'm not being soft. Don't be late anymore. You got that? He says, coach, I promise I won't be late anymore. Next day we have a game and uh, everybody's supposed to be at the gym at eight. I'm there at quarter to seven. He's there at maybe six 30. He's there before me, okay, <laughs> dressed, and he has his cleats on in the gym, which I said, you got to get these cleats off. But anyway, I said, Chris, I appreciate it. You were here before me. I appreciate the gesture. Thank you. He says, no, coach, my fault. I respect you. I like you. I'm sorry. It's no problem. So fast forward maybe about a 40 minutes later, I see him dressed with a polo shirt, cargo shorts, flip-flops, and a backpack at the, at the doorway. I lose it, man. I snap in front of the whole team. I said, you came here early. You're dressed, ready to go. You tell me how you're not going to be late anymore. You tell me all these nice things. And then you go and you get undressed and you're going to, and you come walk towards me and you're going to try to show me up. Uh-uh, I lost it. I mean, I, I, I hauled at him, threw some swear words in there. I was upset because now you're disrespecting me and I don't like that. Okay, that's the, that's my one rule. Do not disrespect me or anybody on the team or this 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 team. Period, right? And care about this team. As I'm hollering at this kid, at this kid, I look to my left, and there he was dressed. I was hollering at his twin brother, <laughs> and I, and he this kid is about six foot four, staring, looking down at me. I'm five six and a half. He's staring at me. He didn't even go to this school. He didn't even go to CMU. He was coming to see his brother. And here I come greeting him, just cussing him out. He didn't say a word to me. Okay. He just stood <laughs> blank, like, what the hell's with this guy? My play my brother's playing for this guy. So the the uh the uh the the, the story for that is make sure if you're gonna holler at somebody, the lesson, make sure if you're gonna holler at somebody, make sure you're hollering at the wrong right guy. <laughs> Let, let's transition that a little bit to the scouting aspect of it, how much as a scout do you look at those? I, I mean, I guess it's, it's easy with every sport in the sense of looking at athletic ability or, or stats, but how much time do you spend looking at the things like, Hey coach, is this guy on time a lot? Um, you know, what's his attitude? Like it, it, it's, I would venture to guess it's a much bigger percentage than people think. Great question. Two part answer to that. Number one, we have, well, we used to do trial camps. We do, it was a Friday, Saturday, and we would do the evaluations for Sunday. So we only have those guys for a couple of days, but you do look at their approach. You do look at how they come in, how they're dressed. My mom used to say how people are dressed is how they will be treated. So you look and see if they're ready to go and on time and their attitudes and are they hustling stuff like that. But, um, you really don't, you try to get to know the person as much as you can, but it, it is hard for two days, but you try to get something out of it. But the second part of that is um, as a coach, I'm also, you know, sometimes if you're playing against an opponent, you do see that, Hey, this guy's, he's got some tools to him. Right. So we were playing this one particular game against this one college and the bus pulls in. And then about five minutes later, a player pulls behind it with a motorcycle and his girlfriend on the back of the motorcycle. And okay, well, that doesn't, uh, 
that's not very good. But anyway, he comes to the game, real attitude. But i got to be honest with you, Dan, he was very good. He could hit. He had line drive. He, had, he was a good line drive hitter, excellent hands, very strong arm, shortstop, could run. Okay. He had a lot of tools, not necessarily power, but he had three or four of those tools that we're looking for. And he was a shortstop, as I said, but he was about five, six, which, okay, that's okay. <clears throat> Maybe we can, <clears throat> excuse me, put him uh, in, in the independent leagues or wherever and go from there. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, he was acting like a complete idiot with his girlfriend, with his coach. Then he tried to knock my catcher's head off on a, uh, on a slide. We lost your audio there. The next time he batted, he got hit with a pitch. Um, Not saying it was intentional or unintentional, but he got hit with a pitch. But long story short, I said to myself, this kid doesn't realize how close he came to signing a professional baseball contract. But he was such a bad person that there was no way in hell I was going to sign him and give him to a coach and have that coach deal with him. And then that coach would say, what? Look what Claudio sent me. So obviously, as you said, you're definitely looking for talent, obviously, but then you're looking for the person, even like with my team. If you're a good person, you can play, you're on the team. If you're a bad person that can play, I don't want you on the team because when I come to practice at six o'clock, I don't want to look at my watch and say, oh man, I got to deal with John. I got to see him. You know, I just don't want it. I, I don't want that horror story. And um, it's too much drama, too much garbage. And I would never do that to another coach right and 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 that's a big part of the the scouting side of things i'd imagine is it's it's based on your past history and your performance dealing with those teams that they're trusting you and the last thing that you want to do is is ruin that relationship by passing on a player that might be questionable to them you're exactly right with a scout it's all about trust um do they trust your evaluations uh do they trust that you're going to send them a good player because without going into too much detail i did again we have a two-day camp i did send a player one time to a to a team that i didn't know his background he had a little bit of a shady background and the coach said look coach claudio i i didn't i know you didn't know about it but i gotta tell you what went on and i felt bad and that team to be honest with you didn't deal with us probably for about two years uh, he didn't forget, though. And um, so you really have to be as careful as you can. And you know what, Dan, you know, the old real estate saying is the three most important things in real estate are what? Good location, good location, good location. Well, I say the three most important things in, in, in on a, for an organization, for a team, in business, in life is good people, good people, good people. If you have good people, you have a shot to do anything. And uh, so that's that's what I look for. So how much crossover do you have with your other ventures in, in the sense of what do you bring from what you learned as a coach into, say, like when you were doing the MMA stuff and the boxing stuff and how much intertwined are those worlds? Uh, that's a tough question. I've never been asked that before. Um, ba- the, the number one thing that I think you have to do is treat people well, treat them with respect, treat them well, whether it's MMA or whether it's the boxing stuff I do or the shows or, or the, uh, or the baseball be even the training. I mean, obviously you have to be good at what you do. So let's put that aside. That should be an obvious that you, you're good at what you do. Um, let's just call it the X and O's part of it. Um, but you can be the greatest coach in the world. If you, if your players can't stand you, they're not going to go out there. In my opinion, uh, they're not going to perform for you. If the people you deal with, if you're arrogant with them, I know me personally, I've dealt with some arrogant people. You have, everybody has, who wants to deal with that? You know, it's, it's tough enough to do our jobs, whatever that respective job is. But if I got to deal with an idiot on top of that, um, I I stay away right away. So I I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person, Dan, that, when they're done working with me or, or when you, Dan, get off the phone and say, man, Claudio was difficult to deal with, or he was high maintenance or, or he was late or whatever. So that's to me how everything is connected is the first thing 
there's good people, good people, good people, but, but you have to be good people as well. Interesting. I, um, you know, when, when I started to transfer, I, I, my story is I just woke up one day, you know, I was in, I, I've always been coaching. Um, you know, my first coaching gig was in 92 and like everyone else, it's a side gig cause making a living as a coach is pretty rough until you put some time in. Um, and I was in the IT world and I just, I woke up one day and was burned out in the IT world and said, you know, I've always liked the mental aspect. I'm going back. And I went back and got my master's in sports psychology and performance psychology. And what I started to realize was there's a lot of crossover. And, and I think you hit the, the nail really on the head about the people, the people, the people is we've seen time and time again, whether it's the NBA or it's baseball or it's football, that they're trying to put all these great, you know, players or pieces together and it falls apart because the, the attitudes or the philosophies aren't the same. Um, and, and, and they fall apart and they should have been these mega super teams. Do you feel like that is, going the way of the past in the sense that more people are now starting to look at, Hey, do these, do these play, I might take a lower tier ability player that fits my philosophy than really pushing for that superstar and trying to work my philosophy around them. Well, I think that uh, the timing of that question is, is excellent with Antonio Brown signing with Tampa Bay. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously here in Pittsburgh, he did what he did. Then he went to the Raiders for 10 minutes. He went to the, it was, well, he went to the Patriots for 10 minutes. He went to the Raiders for 10 minutes. And then, you know, he videotapes himself when he's released by the Raiders jumping into a pool. I think he was when he was released by the Raiders, he jumps into a pool and he's screaming and hollering. So me personally, as good as he is, and I'm sure he's going to help them on the field. And hopefully everybody deserves a second, maybe even a third chance. We've all, we all make mistakes and hopefully um, he will not totally for Tampa Bay. He, he will not behave that way. Um, I think that Bruce Arians already said the coach uh, one time, one, one mistake and he's out. And Tom Brady is, you know, he's putting his, I want to say reputation, but his, uh, whatever on the line because I think he probably pushed for him because Arians didn't want him to begin with. So again, me personally, um, I would not do that. I would not want uh, a player that wasn't a good fit for the team. Okay. Well, you know, I, that's just me because then not only do you have to deal with the X's and O's, now you have to, and you have other, you know, X amount of players that you have to take care of. And, and I don't want to use the word deal with in a negative sense, but deal with. And now you have this attitude that you have to deal with. Me personally, I can't take that. I can't take, nobody likes to be disrespected, Dan, but some people can take more of a punch than others. I can't. Uh, I, I cannot take that punch at all. Um, again, uh, not to keep pushing the book, but I remember my very first day of high school practice in 1988. I was 23 years old. And now these were guys that I was a coach with as an assistant. So they knew me. We had a good relationship, but now I'm the head coach. Not that you necessarily have to change and start being a tough guy. No, just you're the head coach. And it's, it's to me, it's incumbent on the players or employees to say, you know what, I'm not going to take advantage of this guy. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, we were friends or he was pretty good with us as an assistant. I can walk, you know, walk all over him. So anyway, um, we were originally supposed to be outside. I'm sorry, inside. We were supposed to be inside. And it was nice outside. So I said, you know what, guys? <clears throat> we're going to go outside and get some running in, some throwing. We'll get some hitting in because the, the field's in good shape and it's pretty warm. So this one kid just lets out this big sigh. So everybody heard it and he rolls his he pulls his head back and he rolls his eyes and he says, ah, oh, man, I don't want to go outside. I say, Hey Al, you know what? I don't give a damn if you go outside, stay in or if you quit, we're going outside. Matter of fact, I really don't want you to go outside. Get out of here. If that's where you're going to be. And I got hot right away and it wasn't fake. It was sincere. Cause I was upset because he let out that groan. And then if you let it go, Dan, then maybe it's going to connect and trickle, trickle on. So I put a stop to it right away. But my, my point is I would not want somebody who is going to be a pain and is going to start trouble. And it's going to be a bad attitude because some guys may link on to that and, and, and get attached to that because of his star status. And 
he may get respect for the wrong reasons. And then you have chaos. We don't need that. Yeah, in the in the All Star, you know, like in the club volleyball scene, the last few years coaching and that that was really you know one of the issues you're, you're selecting these kids and man we had some phenomenal kids come through but i just couldn't take them on the team like it just it would it would blow up every ounce of culture that we had and, exactly you know i feel bad because part of me was well you know i want to coach this kid and and maybe i can change him but then you know th- how much people are playing for club ball nowadays and the short time frame that you have them. It just, there's just no way that that's already ingrained in them. That, that disrespect or lack of care has already started years ago and it's going to take a while to, you know, change that. And I think, again, I think a lot of players and parents don't realize how much those elements go into the thought process with coaches and the decisions that we make is, is really like look at the whole um my big thing is when i go to these it's a little bit different than baseball but you know we have these big events these these big volleyball qualifiers and we have 700 teams in convention centers playing you know all day and i'll just put my headphones on and i don't even watch them play the first thing i do is i'm just watching how they're warming up how they're interacting with the coach how they're interacting with the team you know what are they doing during timeouts and once I'm sold on that, then I'll move to the, okay, do they have the ability and the position that I'm looking for? Great but, you way, know, great be, it used to be the opposite. It used to be, you know, look for the all-star player and then, okay, can I work with them? <laughs> you know, and, and I've completely flipped it. And while we may be missed on some really good players, our culture has been so much better. And I can't tell you how many years it's been since I've looked at my watch and like, oh, I don't want to go to practice today because I don't want to deal with this. Exactly. There you, and, you hit it on the head. Right. And, and that's the, that's the big one for me. Um, let's talk a bit about the book. Um, is is it available now? Yes. And where can we get now. it? <clears throat> it's available on my website, ClaudioRosano.com. Even if you misspell it, somehow it'll come up. But that's I'll spell it C L A U D I O R E I L S O N O dot com. Also, my podcast is on that uh, website. But the book is called Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up. How to create a positive and winning culture on the field and in the office. It's also available uh, through my publisher, John Melvin Publishing, uh, johnmelvinpublishing.com, and is also on Amazon, and it's soon to be in some uh, bookstores and uh, some other online outlets. So uh, very happy about it and, and, and very proud of it. What? Um, let's start with the easy questions. What, um, what led you to write the book? I, I mean, I feel like as coaches, we all have that in the back of our mind, like I could really write a book about it, but what really got you to put the, I hate to use an antiquated term, but the pen to paper. <laughs> right. No, right. Right. Well, I'm 56. So that, that works for me. Um, but uh, I, I put this in the book. It was, it was uh, the fall of 1993. I was coaching a game at the community college Beaver County. I was head coach and it was a back and forth game and we win the game and the guys are going crazy. They're just jumping up and down. It was just a regular season game, jumping up and down, slapping high fives, comes coming over to me, giving me a hug. Coach, we did that for you. Congratulations. I'm saying, so I was very you know, honored and thrilled and, and touched by that. But I remember being in my locker in my office, and I couldn't get up. I was drained as I always am. And Vince Lombardi used to say, uh, the greatest feeling in the world is to lie exhausted in victory. The second greatest feeling in the world is to lie exhausted in defeat. So I give my entire heart and soul to every game. I couldn't get up. And so, but then I said to myself, why is it that these players like me? I was 27 at the time. Why is it that they like me? Why is it that they play hard for me? Why is it that they uh, are the way they are with me? And it hit me because I care and I'm approachable. And then I see a lot of other, I've seen some examples of maybe that where that wasn't the case. And I've heard stories from players um, about how they were treated. And obviously you, you, and I'm sure you've seen, I guarantee you, you've seen coaches and you say to yourself, man, I would never behave that way. And, and your players would see that coach and say, man, I'm, I'm glad coach doesn't behave that way. Um, so I decided to write a book to help people. And I got some, I got a ton of whenever I do a speaking engagement or, or uh, anything, so people will ask me different questions. And I wrote all these questions down and they're included in the book. The first part of the book is some things that happened to me negatively from coaches that I worked for. And then the middle part of the book is 
some great questions and answers. And then the end of the book, Dan, is um, about 20 some odd former players spanning from 1988 to present on giving me a testimonial. I said, write whatever you want, however long. And I was so touched by the things that they said. And basically the book proves that for the lack of a better term, my formula or how I treat people works. You don't have to be an idiot. You don't have to be a tough guy. You know, you can, you can be tough, uh, you know, without question. I would let, I would not let anybody walk on me. Okay. And, and if that were the first step, then I would take care of it right away. But it shows some stories on how I was treated badly. And it would show some stories that how I've been understanding towards players needs, or if they were going through something, um, or the belief I showed in them or the trust I show, I showed them whatever. And how, if you do that, my dad used to say, you're going to get more bees with honey than you will with mustard. Okay. Right. Or, and this isn't just for coaches. It's for, it's for salesmen. It's for CEOs. It's at, at the end of the day, the whole theme of the book is that your people will not care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And that, I heard that first from Dick Vermeil, which his birthday's today. And I got to get in touch with him. He's, I don't, we're not like great friends, but we know each other a little bit. But I, I heard that quote from him. There is a guy there who would cry at the drop of a hat. Right, right. As do I. And I'm not embarrassed <laughs> to tell you. And if we have more time, I'll tell you some stories about that. But I get very emotional. Um, yes, I'll get upset one minute. I'll get very upset about something if, if they don't, if they disrespect me, which is very, I, I can't even tell you a story where I was disrespected. But um, I'm very emotional. I'm very passionate about what I do. My mom, the title of the book came from my mom used to say, never speak from the neck up, speak from the heart up. And that's like if you're we're doing this interview, you say, okay, Claudio, tell us about uh, you know, your career. Well, Dan, I coached and I scout. <laughs> oh, okay, well, you know, give me something, you know what I mean? Right. Or if you tell me, God forbid, you know, Claudio, I, I can't do this interview today because – you know, somebody is a friend of mine is sick. And I said, oh, Dan, geez, I hope everything's okay. And I would mean it. It isn't like, okay, uh, yeah, whatever. I'll talk to you. You know, in other words, care about what you're doing. And um, so that, that's what the book is about. Like I said, a lot of great stories, a couple funny ones, and basically on how I treat my players, how I treat my people. And, and I, I really think this will, this will have impact. A, a friend of mine who I'm sure you've heard of, Jim Valvano, uh, who was the head coach at NC State, won the championship at NC State, the Jimmy V Fund, the Cancer yep. Fund. Jimmy had so – he used to say the, his favorite word in the English dictionary was the word impact. And that is so important to me to have impact. He had so much impact to me in my life on the court – well, on the field and off. And I want to have impact on people. And that's just – so important to me. And that's why I wrote the book. What do you do? Like, what's your support system then? Like, it, it's obvious your coaching style in the community. And, and I'm sure you definitely get, obviously, support from your former players and all that. But when you have those tough seasons or, you know, that tough loss that the, the finality of a season, you know, is, is pretty rough. And I tend to reflect on that, you know, two years ago, we lost in our conference semifinal. We were playing uh, Christopher Newport, and they were, I think, fifth in the nation at the time. And and we lost literally by two points. We we had the game and and we blew it and lost it. I, it was one of those where you shouldn't even been in it. Um, and I just remember being done and and going out and sitting by the bus alone and just kind of reflecting on it all. Um, what do you draw on that keeps you going? when you have the, the ebbs and flows of a season, what's your support system? Okay. No, another fantastic question. Um, and this is in the book too. There was a, I, I feel couple, like we're giving away the whole cliff notes of the book <laughs> that, now, right? That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. So we had a fantastic group of guys who had, who had won two straight conference titles at CMU. Well, the third season, um, we got off to a bad start. And when you have a, a, a short season, as you know, Dan, you cannot afford to get into a slump. We got into a slump. We started off 0-5. I, I told the guys after a game, and, and they were down. And uh, so I'm starting here from the end and going back. But anyway, um, I said, look, we have to win eight games in a row to make the playoffs. It's that simple. Uh, you know, we have to do this, that, and other thing, but we have to win eight games in a row. And they looked at me kind of like eight games in a row. And then I told the story 
the young boy asks the old man, old man, how do I, how do I uh, achieve success in life? The old man said, by eating an elephant. And the young boy said, how do I eat an elephant? The old man said, by one bite at a time. And, you know, chip away. Let's win game one. Let's win game two. Let's win game three. So the next game, Dan, and that's the last I said of it, the next game, these are college kids now. Uh, they, whenever we would get into a huddle, whenever we would break, I'd give them my pregame, you know, rah-rah speech, and you break, you say win or CMU or Tartans or whatever it is you say. They said elephants. Okay. When they said that, I said, I knew I had a special team. I knew I had special people, but I really have a special team and special people. Now, did we win eight games in a row? No, we won five in a row. <clears throat> but the effort that they gave me gets me emotional because <clears throat> of the type of people they are. Okay. And now let me backtrack to <clears throat> that. Um, and I get emotional. Like I said, talking about these wonderful people that have been so blessed to coach. Um, but anyway, I remember in 2009, there was a game and, and this goes back to treating your people. Well, uh, 2000, I was on my birthday, October 14th. And if we win this game, Dan, we're going to have the all-time wins mark at CMU, which was very important to me for the team because they deserved it. They're a great, we're a great group. I'm looking at a picture of these guys right now in my office. Just a great group. And then they were saying, hey, we got to win this game for Coach because it's his birthday. It's his birthday. <clears throat> All right, well, we're losing 8 nothing. Then we start chipping away, start chipping away. We tied it up 8-8. Eight, eight. And then there's a, a I have something that coaches don't really have during a game, and that's really time to think and really time to go over a bunch of scenarios. So it's two outs, runner on second. He just got the game-tying hit. We have our number one, two, and three hitters up. I'm telling my runner, look, if it, we have two outs. If it goes – and we were home. If it goes to left field, the left fielder has no arm whatsoever, and the ball is going to be wet. I'm sending you. If it goes to center field. The ball's going to be wet. He has no arm. I'm going to send you. But if it goes to right field, I don't care where it goes to right field. You're not going because that kid already threw a runner out, and he's got a hell of an arm. I'm not going to send you. You got it. Yeah, coach, I got it. Brett, I'm not going to send you if it's hit to right field. You understand? Because we have our number one, two, and three hitters coming up. Got it, coach. Okay. So our hitter hits the ball where, Dan? Right field. Right field. And what does the great coach that you have on as a guest today do? Sends the runner. I send the runner. And he is thrown out so badly that the catcher had to go get him. Okay, he's out by a mile. Out by a mile. So I said, my God. So I'm running. I'm going toward, towards our dugout at the third base. And I told him, I said, guys, I messed up. Get me out of this. And they said, don't worry, coach. We got him. That's what they said. They said, don't worry, coach. We'll get him. Don't worry, coach. We'll get him. Well, Dan, we didn't get them. We lost. So as a custom, at the end of the game, we go down the foul lines and we give our post-game meeting, and I, that's it. So I did not run down to that huddle. I walked to that huddle, and I was as down as you could get. I was embarrassed. I felt bad. I felt terrible. I felt stupid. I let those guys down. And I wore sunglasses all the time when I coached. And I, I never forget, I put my hands on my knees and I looked at the ground, and I was crying. I, and, and my tears were being caught by the sunglasses. I said, guys, I'm sorry. I blew the game for you. I messed up. You guys worked your tail off. You deserved – that was our last game of the year. You deserved that record. And – or no, I take it back. It wasn't the last game of the year. We, we did get the record. But still, we didn't know. that We had that. We right. made that big comeback. It wasn't about the record. It was about the – they tried so hard, and they put so much heart – passion into it and i i screwed up and i i'm sorry and they and I, my pitcher said coach if i would have pitched better we would have won my catcher said coach if i would have if i would not have struck out with the bases loaded in the third inning we would have won the game my shortstop said if i didn't make that error i would have won that we would have won the game my center fielder said if i'd have caught that ball and they're blaming themselves dan if I would have been bad with those guys, if I would have been a tough guy with those guys, if I would not have been understanding of those guys, if I would not have cared for those guys, they'd have said good for him. Not Maybe not verbally, but they thought good for him. He blew the game. He, he messed up just like we messed up. Now look at him. 
and, and so that's why you, as a coach, as a CEO, as a parent, you're going to mess up. I'm not saying – I say this. Don't punish. Fix. Don't punish. Fix. Um, I, I don't get on my guys if they make a mistake. I'll fix it. Okay, remember what I said at the beginning. The only time I'm going to get upset is if you disrespect me or don't care. Then you're going to hear about it. Right. But if I would have been an idiot with these guys, they'd have said, man, good for him. So, again, it all goes back to treating people well. And um, But that's the type of teams that I try to cultivate, try to get. Um, and uh, that's, how you, that's how we handled a losing season. That's how I handled a losing game. I hope hopefully that answered your question a little bit. It, no, it, it, it does. And it, it goes back to the, the how important the culture and what you're creating around you is for you, for them, for everyone. Because you're right, that could have been a completely different scenario um, had your culture been completely different. But, but then again, it also goes to if your culture was different, you may not even have been in the place to even attempt to get that record because they might not have been playing as well um, yeah, because they just exactly. were part of it. <clears throat> exactly. um, let, let's wrap up with this because it, it seems like we have to talk about this. How are you dealing with your players and everything now? I, I'm assuming that you probably have players. You guys lost a season last year. Um you know, and, and things are questionable this year, what's going on. How are you dealing with that? How are you keeping in contact and, and, and what's the feelings like um, in this current state with, with COVID and everything going on? Because it's such a new thing to everyone, you know, how you handle it, it it's a very delicate thing. It, it's, it's, it's touchy. So you have to not think of yourself. Um, as I always tell my guys, this isn't about me. This is about you. As individuals and as a team, now we we obviously our spring season was canceled, obviously, and we also have a fall season and it's been canceled. Now we've had we were allowed to have one day a week practice outside. We can't have a runner at first base and somebody covering him. We can't have a live pitcher, batter, and catcher. We can have a live pitcher, catcher, but and we can have a live pitcher, batter, but we can't have a catcher catching him. So it's really. You know, we have to keep our distance, social distance, and, and, and uh, we adhere to all the rules. You know, we, we're using our own individual bats. We're using our own individual, individual helmets. And, you know, that's – I'm like that anyway. But, you know, we, all, we, we are very strict about that. But there are some players, and this one young man who's, who gave me a great testimonial in the book, Tim – well, it doesn't matter what his name is, just a fantastic young man. He's a coach. I hope you understand, but I just don't feel comfortable getting on a on – a, getting an Uber or riding with the team to practice, if that's okay. Um, I, I said, that's, that's fine. I respect that. And I respect you. That's fine. This has, this is going to have no bearing on you being our starter. And he's a wonderful, most polite kid I've ever coached in my life. Love this kid. Another young man said, pretty much said the same thing. He's I just don't feel comfortable. You know, I, I'm doing school from home. Um, and I, I'm not even on campus. I'm not that far from, from school, but I just, I said, okay, that's fine. Then I have a few guys who want to be there, but again, we're adhering to the rules that we have to abide by. Um, so I don't put a blanket on anything, Dan. You have to look at the situation. Like originally with hitting, I told you, I had twins who batted differently. You know, this young man feels uncomfortable being there. I'm going to make him come to practice. First of all, he'll probably say, you know what then coach, if that's the case, I'm probably going to quit then I'm going to lose him as a player and as a person. Then if I, if, if he does come, let's say, God forbid, he gets sick. Well, guess who's going to kind of catch the blame for that? Me. So if you want to come and, and, and so I'll say this, if you want to come to practice, great. If you don't, I understand, try to sneak in some work whenever, wherever you can. Now, does that mean that I don't give a damn about my team? Does that mean I don't care about practice? Does that mean I don't care if we win or lose? Of course not. Of course not. Not at all. It means that I do care about my team. It means I do give a damn uh, about the whole program. Okay, so this young man wants to come. Come. Adhere to the rules. You're welcome to come. The other young man is not comfortable coming. Don't come. Still love you. Still part of the team. Everything's great. It's when you start saying it's my way or the highway or uh, what, what's the old thing, Dan? Put a round peg in a square hole or a square peg in a round <laughs> hole, whatever that is. Yep. I always get confused on that one. I'm great on quotes, but I always <laughs> mess that one up. Um, but um, so that's how I go about it. And, and you know what? Um, we're supposed to play in the spring. We have a Florida trip. We're not going. 
fine. Uh, we're, we're, our goal is to play in the spring. If the governing body allows us to play and the school allows us to play and the team wants to play, I'll be there. If we can't play, then guess what? I won't be there. Um, it's not about me. It's about the team and everybody's health. Your health is number one, Dan. The Italians have a saying, if you have a health, you ha if you have your health, you have everything. And, and that's, that's first and foremost. And, and then real quick. And if the guys, let's say they did come to practice. Okay. They were, they would be there, but they wouldn't be there. You know what I'm trying to say? They'd be worried yep. about this. And uh, I know we're running short on time. I have a story in my book about, I have two stories about that in my book that a, a player was at practice, but he really wasn't at practice and how I dealt with it. But um, yeah, that, that's how I would deal with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and it, it just keeps going back to that, that same, that same peg about the, the culture that you've created with that program and, uh, uh, you know, our program at York and, and I know a lot of other coaches, you know, had we not worked and created such a good culture, this would be a much rougher situation, I think, but our team's rolling with it. We're, we're the same. I can't have more than four girls on the court. Um, we have to practice in our masks. Um, and, right, and, right, right. and we went, we went outside, um, because it was easier for me to set up for grass courts. And that way I didn't have to spend eight hours a day doing small group stuff. I could at least get everyone at the same time and small grouped outside. Um, and, and, and we're, you know, we're bummed. We, we moved conferences from the CAC into the Mac and we were all excited. This was going to be our first season in the Mac and, um, you know, so there were a lot, but the attitude's just been great. And I, I was just really reflecting on this the other night that it's great because that's the culture and the kids that we've recruited and what we built. Um, right. If if I was just bringing in the best kids that didn't fit, this probably would have been a nightmare trying to exactly. try to deal with it and and keep everyone down. So I'm glad that it kind of comes back to that again, that whole culture. And I think you're really onto something, and I, I can't wait to read the book. And um, we'll have all the links. Uh, with the podcast and in the comments so people can can get at your podcast and the books and your website but um, this has been great I, I love I love talking with coaches that are sports that I really have little knowledge of and finding out that we pretty much all like to do the same thing and and it's the the building blocks of any program is not that unique in the sense of sport to sport um, and right. also, it also feels good when I see a coach that's successful like you, and I feel like I'm on the same page with a lot of stuff that I do and, and what, you know, you're talking about and what you put in place with your program it, it is great. And I, I thank you for that. Um, any closing thoughts, anything you want to hit on before we, we sign off today? You know what? Uh, well, before I thank you for everything, a couple of things came to mind when you were speaking there. And, and first of all, I congratulate you on your successes and I cannot wait to have you on my show. And, and that's going to be fun too on my podcast. I'm excited about that. But, you know, when you were talking about that, you know, right now the before the NFL season started, what were they talking about? Is Brady going to do well without Bilicek? Is Bilicek going to do well without Brady? And you see what's going on. That's why uh, a few years ago, uh, I won a, this award. And the first thing I said was, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, he didn't get there alone. Another old Italian saying, if you, ne <laughs> if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, he didn't get there alone. I did not receive this award or any award or any successes, whatever they are, without, number one, my parents. Without My parents were unbelievable with me. I, I, they were so supportive. And, and then my players. We wouldn't have won a game without my players. Belichick might be a terrific coach. How come he didn't do this in Cleveland? Because he didn't have the horses. Right. Okay. Phil Jackson, all these championships. Oh, that's great. Go coach, uh, you know, the worst team in the NBA. They may win a few more games, maybe. I don't know. The coach is important. And then not that I'm riding the fence. Another old Italian saying is, um, I guess you guys can tell that I'm Italian. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the, another old saying that my parents used to say all the time, the fish thinks from the head. In other words, if it's bad at the top, Dan, if the coach is bad, if the parent is bad, if the CEO is bad, then it trickles down. It trickles down. So it's uh, the final word here on this is if we all pull the same rope at the same time, the same direction for the same purpose, we're going to get a great result. And so you need, as we originally said, good people. If you have good people. You're going to, you're going to do something special, but I really thank you for this opportunity. I hope your listeners 
continue to listen to your show because you have a lot. I, I know for a fact you're having impact on people um, just by the few minutes we've shared together here. And hopefully they'll enjoy the book and, and, um, and enjoy what I had to say here. Hopefully it helped a little bit. And, uh, and I really enjoyed this very much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Claudio. And, and what's the website? One more time. Yes, it's uh, Claudio realsano.com c-l-a-u-d-i-o-r-e-i-l-s-o-n-o.com you can get the book there uh, lead from the heart up not the neck up you can listen to some podcasts i've had some great guests i've had ken griffey senior on rocky Blyer, jerry cooney Dinah lawn vinnie paz um, uh, jim rooker sid bream a lot of guys roman gabriel um, pierre larouche i've had a lot, a lot of great names on there some some special friends, some good friends of mine have been on the show as well. And uh, so I, I think, uh, I think Vince Ferragamo, the old quarter, I shouldn't say old. Uh, <laughs> Careful. He's a, yeah, he, he still looks great. Vince is a great looking guy, great guy. And, uh, and uh, so I, I think people will enjoy the, uh, it's almost like, where are they now type thing, you know? Right. And um, they, have, they all have great stories that they share. And, uh, and as I said, looking forward to having you on as well. Great. Well, I thank you, Claudia. And uh, we'll, uh, Make sure all the links are in there, and like I said, I can't wait to sit down and, and read the book and and go for the depth, and then we'll we'll schedule time and I'll hop on your podcast. But thank you again for taking the time amidst all of this, and it was a great chat, and I appreciate it. Thank you for everything. Thank you, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at RealDanMickle or via the show's website at DanMickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717Soul and on their website, 717Soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode. Thank you.